Kyle, my friend. How are you, sir? Not bad. How are you? Good. It's good to see you, man. I've been chomping at the bit for this week's podcast. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a topic of particular interest. Yes, indeed. Today, on the podcast, we're, we're talking psychedelics. Um, not exactly sure where to start, but I'm very interested to hear what you, what you have in mind here today, Kyle. Um, well, I think uh, we had kind of talked about talking... Not just psychedelics, but uh, altered states of consciousness in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think one place we could kind of start out is the significance of these kind of experiences, th- you know, deep, deep into history. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. So, um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the w- ways in which people reach psychedelic states of mind without drugs. Um, because I want to focus mostly on drugs today. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could kind of gloss over some of the other things that, that happen um, that are similar. And uh, so I, I have a particular interest in religion. So what I think about are things like Native American rituals, uh, coming of age type rituals where, uh, where people would send their, their kids, uh, their boys primarily, um, when they reach, you know, whatever it is, 12, 13 years of age, they send them out into the wilderness to kind of fend for themselves. And then they, so I'm, I'm imagining like the scene from 300 mm-hmm. where Leonidas yep, gets with kicked the wolf. Yeah, with the wolf. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so this was like a, a legitimate um, ritual that, that we see in tribal societies. But what happens is these kids go out on their own for the first time um, and they're not, they're, they're not allowed to come back until they have had some sort of mystical experience Mm -hmm. and so what happens is these kids go out they can't really fend for themselves so they're not sleeping well you know it's uh they're not eating well um and so you end they end up having um sleep deprivation and uh food deprivation and those are two things that lead to that type of experience yeah um i can vouch for this because uh when i had my first child um i did i didn't sleep for like three days oh yeah and when i was um, driving home from the hospital, I completely felt trippy. I felt, I felt a little bit messed up sure. in a weird way. Like, um, you know, the road and the sky and everything as I was driving looked a little funny, felt sure. a little funny. Okay. You know, so, you know, this is one way that people achieve that type of a state. Yeah. I've, I've actually felt that before too. I was in high school once and, you know, I was a bad kid in high school and I would go, I would go out drinking at bars, you know, and I did that a couple nights in a row and Bad just boy. hadn't, you know, I would go to bed at like three in the morning and then go to school, you know, wake up to go to school at like 645. And I remember sitting in a math class and just the walls around me were just kind of like waving mm. and I felt like I thought I was going to die. I didn't know, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so if you, if you've I've, had, I've experienced that too. Sure. Yeah. If, you, if you've ever had the tequila spins. Where, where you lay down and everything was fine a second ago and suddenly the cosmos are spinning around in front of you. You, you know what I mean. There, there's, sure. a, there's, a point, um, there's a point where uh, reality changes and, uh, and that's what I want to talk about when, when, our, when our kind of norm, ordinary conscious state is somehow different, somehow magical. Sure. Um, so I wrote down a couple things. Um, apart from sleep deprivation and food deprivation, Another thing that uh, these ancient people will do is um, they will they do what what's called ecstatic rituals. So mm-hmm. I, I'm picturing 
like African tribes sure. where they where they dance, you know, yeah. and they and they did this in in native in 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 the you know North and South America as well, but where they're dancing all day, all night, you know, we're talking twenty four hours, thirty six hours of dancing That's to to that rhythmic music. Mm-hmm. And Sounds like an EDM festival. Whoa, I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't really thought of the comparison, but you're exactly right. Yeah, I bet that I've never done that, but I bet that's exactly what that's experiences like there's something there's some kind of connection there i mean i think you know in one of the past episodes uh we were kind of talking about good collectivism Mm. and just the experience of getting wrapped up in a good concert with a you know a group of people right um and i definitely think that there's some kind of connection between I don't know, like these altered states of consciousness and that that at a concert. You right. Know? I think you're you're riding some kind of similar wave. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good bridge because you're right. Um, I wanted to ask you about the about the rhythmic part of of the music because that seems to be what draws people into that state. Sure. Especially when they're exhausted and they're con- and they're just they just keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about music and he talks about how. You know, in the way that Jordan Peterson talks about things, mm-hmm. he said that it's, you know, reality is layered and <laughs> and music is layered and, you know, it means something. Um, and I, but I mean, I think that there's some kind of truth in that for sure. It's like, um, oh, yeah. you know, these pattern. One of the things I love about the kind of like kind of jam music that I like mm-hmm. is they build this tension like there will be. Everyone will be like kind of just wailing on their instruments and just building, building, building. And then it breaks into this um, Mm. something else, like another pattern, you know, and it's just um, it's very gratifying. It's like Like, it's great. It's like a like a release somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You feel. I don't know. It it is like ecstatic. You said ecstatic ritual. It is. I mean, it can be anyways. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I know what you mean, though. When you when you get caught up in that like group, um, that really intense group experience, and you do lose a little bit of your identity in it, mm-hmm. and it's something about that that's really pleasant, um, and that's magnified a, a thousandfold in a psychedelic drug experience. Sure. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to tease the audience. I don't, but I don't want to jump right into that necessarily. I think there's a little bit more we well, could talk about. Sure. I mean, you know. Uh, other types of altered states of consciousness before you even start getting into and I mean I think they're interesting because all of these things that we could talk about like I was talking about with the music just now there's some kind of connection like I said it's some kind of the same wave mm. like meditation so I'm so sorry man oh, I, you're I don't no, stop. but you mentioned Jordan Peterson and the music earlier yeah. and this brings to mind something else that he said um, he talked about how um, he talked about inf- information and and then he breaks that down saying that what that means is that you're in formation with reality so when you have information what that means is there's something useful that corresponds to the way the world really is okay. and um and what i wonder about the music experience that we're just talking about is if the harmony that our bodies that our, our minds and bodies get into with the music and with everybody around us if that sort of puts us in the same formation for lack of a better word it kind of puts us on the same wavelength i guess sure that that there's something about that corresponding to the experience of everybody around you that that breaks off that trippy experience yeah i think what is 
music. I mean, what is sound? You know, it's vibration. Right. And what are we? We're just like, I mean, wait, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so we're getting really we're getting right into the hippy dippy now. But, but, well, you're, you but you're, you're right. I mean, um, we, we're made of, uh, you know, we're made of um, elementary particles and mm -hmm. quarks and electrons and those sorts of mm -hmm. things. And they're understood as uh, waves. You ever seen those things where people put um, like sand or something on a speaker and then they oh, put yeah. that like they run some kind of like low frequency sound and it turns into this like fractal. Yes. Looking. It, lo it looks like uh, like a snowflake or something. Every every note has its own shape. Yeah. I don't know how that's connected, but I think that it is. Oh, somehow. It, it's absolutely connected. Yeah. But what what in the fuck is that? I don't know. It's the devil, I think. <laughs> so so every note has its own unique shape. And it is mm -hmm. it is like a like a weird fractal shape. I mean, I don't know what that is, but we got to get a scientist on this podcast <laughs> to talk about that. <laughs> but just with the music and how that relates to that, I really do. I think that that, you know, that just that those vibrations get in the air and they just I think it just starts moving people in more ways than one. You know, like oh, they yeah. start dancing physically. And I think that there is a lot of times some other yeah. aspect to it, especially when you're on psychedelics. I mean, I've, oh, yeah. you know, I don't want to incriminate myself too much on this podcast, but I've done some psychedelics at concerts and it's. um it's pretty awesome, you know? Yes, indeed. So, you know what? I, I do feel the obligatory need to say to the audience that this podcast is not an endorsement of any sort of illicit drugs. <laughs> we are not encouraging anybody to take them. Um, but uh, I do want to talk about our personal experiences with these. Yeah. Um, I, go ahead. Uh, no, you're good. Uh, well, the only other thing I wanted to say before we skip over it, uh, because I don't want to forget, um, is things like dreaming. Sure. Um, things like uh, really high fever where people where people will hallucinate mm -hmm. and then seizures yeah so these are all different ways um, where again we're talking about a different type of consciousness yeah. and uh, dreaming is really interesting and I want to ask you about that but the seizures one do you do you remember um, this actually goes back to Jordan Peterson also um, he was talking about doesn't it all <laughs> doesn't it always he, he was talking about one of those uh, Russian uh, authors, and it m might have been Dostoevsky, but I don't think it's so. It's usually Dostoevsky <laughs> with, with Peterson. I think it was somebody else, uh, but he said that he was an author, kind of a failed author, and then he had a, a seizure, a really bad seizure. Oh. And in that seizure, he had a crazy psychedelic experience, which people do say that they experience. Yeah, I've heard that. And when he came back from it, he was a genius author at that point. Uh, whatever huh. whatever happened to him during that experience made him like a creative genius. I mean, it reminds me of like Sam Kennison, you know, where oh, yeah. he always tells that story. Um, that's interesting. I have not. I don't know who that is. That could be Dostoevsky, but I I haven't heard that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as the fever dreams and the seizures, I think the one interesting thing that ties in with seizures is that's associated with like witchcraft, you know, like people convulsing. Oh yeah. And, um, I think that's interesting. Um, mm, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, so, so you're right. I mean, I'm thinking about again, the Salem witch trials, which we, which we dropped, uh, dropped as a reference before. Uh, but you're right. I mean, s somebody who's having a, a legitimate medical, uh, seizure, yeah. um, in, in a, in a different time without the understanding, they absolutely think that there's some demonic, uh, element involved, which I, which strikes me as interesting only because the psychedelic experience in general strikes me as religious. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they probably couldn't help it. I mean, you see this person collapse and start convulsing, and that's 
scary just on the face of it. Mm. And then they come back and they start talking about potential visions that they had. Oh, yeah. You know, that's uh, uh, you see that you see that kind of thing with like near death experiences also. Sure. Um, and I haven't done a lot of research or study on that, but but people do come back and say you know interesting things and a lot of the things that they see. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about today are the visual things that people experience. Um, but they have those sorts of things. Um, you know, when their when their heart stops, when they when they have to sure. get resuscitated, that kind of thing. Researching near death experiences sounds very dangerous. I don't think that you <laughs> should do that. <laughs> do you remember that movie with uh, uh, what's it called, Sleepwalker? No, that was Stephen King. There was a movie where with um, um, Pretty Woman, uh, Julia Roberts. Okay, yeah. And she was a part of a, a, a medical research team, a bunch of like graduate students, mm-hmm. and they were studying near death experiences. And w- do you remember this? They not really. They they took turns um, shocking their hearts out of uh, rhythm so that they would die and then they would give them a certain amount of time dead and then they would bring them back and then they would talk about what they experienced while they were dead. This was in Pretty Woman? No, no, it was a Julia Roberts movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) I was really confused. Uh, Sorry, I don't remember that. No, 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 I think that's on me. Um, So, as far as the dreams go, I mean... I really don't know what else to say about dreams, but other things that cause altered states that you don't even have to, you know, you said a second ago that you don't want to endorse psychedelics. Um, what I want to say about psychedelics is just you decide for yourself, you know? Correct. Uh, I think that's whatever. Yeah, you nobody, know? guys, nobody should ever be pressuring you into something like that. And we'll talk about this more. But the reason is, this is not a peer pressure situation because this is not a recreational situation. Yeah, I mean, I do kind of, once we do get into talking about the substances, I do kind of want to talk about maybe the pros and the cons of it. Okay, fair Um, enough, fair enough. Because I just, I think it's good to be honest about things. I think it's good to give people the real information that I have. Oh, absolutely. Um, Not that I have a ton of it, but I mean, I've got more than some people. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, But just uh, back to what I was saying, other altered states of consciousness, there's meditation. um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I kind of associate uh, meditation and float tanks and stuff like that kind of in the same. Yes. You know, it's like a different kind of meditation. Um, which I've done float tank a couple of times. Right. I um, think I think we need to shout out to Joe Rogan for that one. Yeah, man. I mean, I, pretty much this entire episode, you know, I, I knew what psychedelics were before Rogan, obviously. But, I mean, I've been listening to Rogan for like 10 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he definitely, in the early days, talked a lot about psychedelics. And yes. made me realize that they were very interesting. So I want you to talk about your float taking experience because I want to talk about mine. Sure. Um, I do want to mention... That uh, when we we did hear about the sensory deprivation stuff from Rogan early on, and then you and I, uh, as I recall, for a birthday present, took a trip. Uh, we took a drive like uh, like an hour or so away uh, to find the nearest uh, float tank um, uh, place because at that time those uh, those places were not easy to find. I mean, they're they're everywhere now. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, they really did blow up the Rogan effect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. I really don't remember a whole lot about my actual experience, to be honest with you. Like I said, they're kind of slippery, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and I think it's a, whether we're talking about the uh, float tank type of experience mm-hmm. or, or a psychedelic drug experience, coming out of those things, the memories do fade pretty quickly. The, the images fade. The, 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 I mean, it's just like a dream. It's very much like a dream. You wake up from a dream, um, and oftentimes within a, f- a few seconds, you know, I think— uh, I'm going to be able to write all this down. 
Yeah. And then I blink and I can't remember any of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't. I mean, I would say if you, you know, like if they say, if you want to um, learn to lucid dream that you should start dream journaling. Right. You know? And yep. I would say that if you want to have, and maybe, I don't know, maybe some people would disagree with this, but I would say if you want to gain something from your trips, you have to try to hold on to something. And yes, I, I think that requires at least thinking about it. Oh yeah. You know, when you come out of it and, you know, just kind of contemplating the entire experience. Um, yeah. Do you, do you find that the meaning from those types of experiences, um, it kind of, they kind of, uh, fleshes itself out like in the days and weeks oh, yeah, afterwards. For sure. Yeah. Isn't um, that weird? It is weird. Uh, I, I really don't even know what to make of that, to be honest with you. Um, you know what I think? I, I think that we know what the meaning is, but it, but we don't, we know, but we're not aware of it. It's like it, it slowly starts to make sense. So it's hard to describe. Yeah. And this this podcast is going to get hippy dippy, you guys. There's for sure going to be some <laughs> weird stuff said. But that but that's how it feels. I don't it's know like, what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely seems like something that. Um, yeah, that's you know what next topic. Um, well, I mean, just the ne- the the next topic that I have is just kind of more of these other things, you know, like uh, breath work. Oh, you yeah. know, people, you basically, it's in intentional hyperventilation, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I've done that and I've only done it a couple times, but I definitely could see the, the thing about all of these things like meditation, they, they call it a practice and it's because you right. have to do it. You right. know, you can't just do it like once and have these experiences. You really have to put in work. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing about the psychedelic substances that is interesting because that's kind of like a bypass to that. Yes. Yes. And I, and I, I don't want to stop you, your momentum, but but, well, a Carl Jung (laughs) quote popped in my head. So he was asked about psychedelic drugs. So Carl Jung, obviously we talked about him before a very famous, uh, psych psychologist. He was asked about psychedelics because the, the dream images, uh, that he was examining, uh, and the images in mythology, they correspond to a lot of things that people talk about from, uh, from psychedelic experiences, and when they asked Jung about that, he said something to the to the tune of, uh, "Beware of um, beware of anything valuable that comes too easy." Okay. So take that take that with a grain of salt, but uh, uh, but it's definitely a shortcut. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that there is something to that. Beware of anything that comes too easy, and I think maybe part of that is. You know, kind of the reputation that you know the, the reputation that psychedelics have now is kind of reforming. You know, right. they're kind of getting more of a positive vibe. But before that, it was just like dumb, dumb teenagers in trailers. You know, right. <laughs> taking mushrooms and doing stupid stuff. Um, but I, I think that that there's something to that. I, I I really do think that these substances should be used respectfully. I mean, you know, I I think that, uh, I don't think that there's much, I don't think that there's a lot of danger to be honest with you, but I think that there is some, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you hear about people, um, and, and, you know, these people are usually people who have, um, a history of mental health, uh, disorders or something like that. Sure. But you do, you do hear about people who take psychedelics and they never recover. Yeah. Um, but it's never happened to me. You know what you don't hear about? What? People taking psychedelics and becoming addicted to them. 
That's also very true. And they're fact, like anti-addictive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So so some of those um, aboga and some of those uh, like those harder to find. Um, I think they're African psychedelics. They're used um, medically for exactly that reason to break people from uh, other addictions like opiates and things that Nicotine, are yes, yeah. they're very difficult to break. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, Ibogaine. Ibogaine. That? That's another one. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, it's funny to me that have you ever heard the story about Hunter S. Thompson? I don't. Let's hear it. Uh, he there was just you know he covered politics back in the day, and there was this guy running for president named Ed Muskie mm -hmm. that Hunter didn't like. So he started this rumor that he was going down to South America to take this drug ibogaine, and you know it actually kind of ruined the guy's um, you know uh, political you oh, know really? that, that campaign. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I just think it's funny that Ibogaine, like, if I heard that a politician was going to take Ibogaine, I'd be like, all right, all right, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll look into this guy. Yeah, that, that would be a very good thing today, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, um, hey, let me let me ask you this, because we started talking about Float Tank, and before we get away from it, where we left off there was you saying that you don't really remember much from it. Yeah. But what, do you remember anything? Was it visual at all for you? There was some visual stuff. Um, more than anything, it was like a disassociated, you know, like a, like a feeling mm. of, you know, one of the people that I have down to talk about in this podcast is Huxley and oh, yes. he, Aldous Huxley. And he, uh, talks about in the book, the doors of perception, something called mind at large. Mm. Um, and that's kind of, I, that's kind of what I felt like. I felt like I was just my consciousness and I was like integrated back into things kind of oh yeah you know so i think that mind at large uh concept is the same as um what people call um the collective unconscious or, okay. or the or yeah. cosmic consciousness that's another thing that i've heard got it i, I think we're talking about the same thing uh, one interesting tidbit about um about huxley is that the doors of perception the book that we're talking about um that was where the band the doors got their name from Come on, baby, light my fire. <laughs> Love that band. They're, you know, one of my favorites of all time. Um, um, so, I'm sorry, we're, we're talking about what was visual. Do you remember any of the specifics? Not really, to be honest with you. I do remember one thing that I remember, and it's like the, the least pleasant part of it. I had this really, like, weird image of a dying dog. Like, oh, wow. Just, like, flashed into my head, like, right towards the end of the experience, mm -hmm. just, like, flashed into my head, this image of a dying dog. It was like... Huh. For a second, it was there, and then I, like, forced it out, and that was, you know, that made me sad right at the end of my... <laughs> One thing I will say about the um, the float tank experience is more of a physical thing. When I get out of there, I feel great. Like, yes. You know, like, because there's no Light pressure on you. It's, yes. Yeah, it's wonderful. I, I wish that I had one of, uh, you know, I wish I was, like, Rogan style, and I had a float tank. In your because, basement, yeah. Like I said... With the meditation and stuff, you know, you can't go in there once, you know, I did one time for one hour, one time for three hours. Yep. I think we did it for three hours. Yep. Um, and, you know, it, I I don't even remember well, what a, I was saying. So, was you know, you, well, it? you know what that makes me think of? Um, so, if anybody listening that has ever studied uh, philosophy at all will, will be uh, familiar with a uh, like a thought experiment and the thought experiments called mind in a vat okay yeah. so it's like you know talking about how the world might be um, uh, an illusion and how much of it is an illusion is hard to say imagine if you were a mind in a vat 
you were like you were in the matrix and, yes. and everything's being sort of, you know, fired into your brain and you think it's real, but it's not real. Um, that is kind of how I felt in the float tank. Okay. Um, and just so, you know, I assume most of the people listening here probably have some understanding of the float tank, but in case you don't, um, you're literally going into a, uh, a, a big sort of capsule, a container um, you you close the door behind you and it is completely dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face, uh, and there is water in there with a, with a bunch of salt. So you're floating in it, um, and it takes a little while to like settle down. Uh, but once the water gets quiet, and and your like fingers and toes stop touching the sides of the tank, um, you have no input whatsoever. Your brain starts doing things. Um, it kind of feels almost like a panic. Your, your brain is like firing things at you because it, it it's so used to having like stimulus all the time. When it doesn't, it like doesn't know what to do. It's a w- really weird feeling, yeah. but it does take a long time in the float tank to get any sort of images. That, that reminds me of what I was saying is that um, you have to, I wish I had one in my house because you have to do it. You, like you can't just, you know, you get in there and it takes you a while to get settled down in general, but um it it's something that like i'm sure if you do it often you can kind of get in there and just just get right into it well, you know yeah i mean well I, I mean i don't know how good you could get at it but you yeah. could definitely get better at it i feel like yeah, absolutely I, i'm pretty sure that you i mean think you think about like meditators and stuff like that they get good at it like they learn how to put themselves in mm. a right state of mind like that's the whole point Did of it you, have you ever gone in there um high I mean, every single time. Okay, okay. <laughs> because I did, um, I did do it sober, and I did do it affected. And uh, when I, when I was high, um, I I was able to relax more quickly and sure. to get into that uh, feeling more quickly. Um, but I do want to tell you what I saw, and I told you this before, but for the audience, um, it did take a long time to get these images, and they were very quick. They were flashes. Um, wh- one of them was the face of a raccoon. Oh, okay. Right, it was right up in my face. So, you know, again, you can't tell with your eyes open or closed whether they're open or closed because it's so dark in there, you can't exactly tell. So I'm sitting there looking into the abyss, uh, the black abyss, and suddenly there's this raccoon's face, but angry, like a rabid raccoon, you know, snarling, and it was right in my face, like inches away. So it was kind of startling. But of course, I knew I was I was in a float tank and I was safe. Um, but it was just a flash, and then a little while later, I saw m- my hands um, going into like a crack in in a, in a cave wall. Like I'm I'm in this dark cave, and I can see my hands coming out, reaching into a cr- crevice in the cave wall, and pulling out like a small treasure box. That's cool. And that and it was but for a second, and it was gone. Yeah. That was it. The, I, I don't really remember a lot that I saw, but I do remember that it was fleeting like that. Yes. You know, that just like, boom, a second. And I think that that's probably something that you get better too is staying in it. Mm. You know, like you start feeling it and it, um, it, like as soon, I, I've heard lucid dreaming is like that too. Like right. people realize they're, they're dreaming and then immediately wake up. Um, do, so. do you think there's meaning to those images that we just talked about? Because they came from somewhere. Do you, do you think that they're random, or do you think that there's actually some significance to them? That is a good question. Um, because when those things happen, Young Young would say that you're that the unconscious is is sort of giving those images to you. So you're sure. you're seeing them from the other side. You know, something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, 
I tend to think that that is the truth. Um, that tends to be the the way that I see things, but I don't have a hard time understanding why people feel the other way. Kind of because I have felt that way myself, you know. Um, but I really don't know. I'm kind of like right there in the middle. I do kind of lean, like I said, I do kind of lean towards them being meaningful. Right. Um, but yeah. I mean, like the one guy, Hamilton Morris. Mm-hmm. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't think that there. He thinks it's all like chemicals in your head. There's nothing else, right? You know. And if he thinks it, then who am I to you know say that that's a completely stupid idea? So for those people who don't know Hamilton Morris, this is one of the uh, one of the TV shows. If you're interested in psychedelics or drugs in general, What's it on because um, I tried to watch it and I couldn't find it. I thought it was originally a Vice show, and for I think I was oh, watching I didn't even it. Think of that. Yeah, I think it was a Vice show, and I think I was watching it on Hulu, but I can't really remember. Okay. But it's called Hamilton's Pharmacopia for those people who want to look it up. Um, and that guy is first of all, it's a very dry show. Um, so yeah, prepare yourself for that. But 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 Hamilton is is an extremely uh, smart guy with a, with a real legitimate interest in drugs from a a chemical perspective. So he he definitely wants to show people what those experiences are like. Mm-hmm. He wants to talk about it. He wants to show you somebody high on that drug so you can see what it looks like. Yeah. And then he breaks down what the chemical structure is, what it's related to, like with the family of chemicals, and how you make it. So he actually goes through the process of synthesizing these drugs and talking about it. So if you want to get that kind of level of detail, that show is tremendous. I would, yeah. I'd encourage you to check it out. Very interesting. He's got a couple of good podcasts with Rogan too. Um, so I, you know, I, that's I, always a good resource. To I, like, I couldn't remember that. He was, oh, on, really? he was on Rogan? Yeah, yeah, okay. twice. For the first time, it was super awkward. It okay. Was, it was pretty entertaining for that reason alone. Um, but, yeah, I mean... So, so I don't know where you might want to go next, um, and I'm, I'm open to your thoughts, but what I thought we'd do is maybe talk about, uh, talk about marijuana first, and the reason is... The gateway drug. That's exactly it, yeah. because it's, it's for, it is a gateway drug, and, for, and I don't mean that in a gloom and doom sort of way, but it was for me, it was for you. Yeah, man, it definitely opened, you know, it, it, marijuana was kind of that drug that made me realize... And I hate to, you know, I'm going to be the guy who makes everything political, but marijuana was the drug that made me realize that just because people were telling me that it was bad doesn't mean that it Mm. actually is. Because once I started doing it, I was like, oh, there's nothing really that big to worry about here, you know? So then I started, that kind of dissolves the fear Mm. a little bit. Yeah. And I think that that's something we should talk about is the fear that comes along with these substances. Oh yeah. I'm going to make a note of that. We should, we should definitely talk about that because there is very much a, uh, a fear component Mm. to it. Maybe not the first time you do it, but, but maybe so. I mean, you hear, you hear stories about people in the seventies doing LSD. You're going to have some fear going into that. Sure. But there is, especially with DMT, which I, I, I maybe we can save towards the end. But I want to talk about DMT because it's the uh, granddaddy of them the all. The granddaddy of them all. <laughs> it's the rose bowl of psychedelics. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I really don't know. Well, you know what? How about set and setting? Oh, talk- that's hugely important. That's a great thing to bring up. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I heard that, not really understanding what it meant, mm-hmm. um, and. That's another thing, you know, like I said, I think that these substances should be used responsibly, and I think part of that is the set and setting. You know, I when you're doing something that is going to give you this 
kind of potential experience, uh, it's good to be in a good place and that kind of goes both ways. Oh yeah. But it goes in two ways. Uh, and that one of them is the set and that's your mindset, mm. you know, like the way you're feeling, um, how things are going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and setting is where are you? Do you feel safe? You know, uh, do you feel, do you have someone there that you can talk to if you need to? Right. Uh, the, all of that sort of thing. So, so to that point, the way that these drugs were used traditionally, w- set and setting was very important. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like a, it's ritualistic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you have a, a shaman who's, who's done the experience many times, mm-hmm. whose father and grandfather and great grandfather going back forever and ever had done the same. Yeah. Um, it's ingrained in the culture and the society, and when they bring somebody in to that psychedelic experience, they're, they're, they know what they're dealing with. They're going to guide them through the process and all the things they're doing to help it along a certain goal. And sometimes that's music that they're playing or chanting or humming or the images that are around them, the, the place where they choose to do that, that trip, you know, in the forest or the desert or something like that yeah. at night or during the day. Mm-hmm. It, all makes, it all makes a difference. Having a fire there. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, what do you think the purpose of all of that is? Well, I mean, that's right. That's right to the point. That's right to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the purpose of all of that is to help people reach a state that's possible to reach in a psychedelic drug experience, but it's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And that state is, uh, well, I, I, I used the word cosmic consciousness once before. It's that it's the it's the being one with the universe that's create. It's it's what's called the mystical experience. Okay. And it's again, you can do psychedelics and have a fun time, or have a bad time, or see magical things, and not necessarily reach that that climax. But if you get to that, um, you get a shaman, and the set and setting is going to help with that. It's the guided tour. It's the express route to that that goal and even that even that's no guarantee you're going to have that crazy you know one with the universe type of experience yeah i mean i, I want to talk more about that experience yes. um, what that means what the implications are um well before we do that before we leave the set and setting you said something earlier about when we were talking about dancing uh and and uh, and uh, you know at a concert venue let's say um and you're talking about teenagers doing recreational drugs. So before I just want to contrast this whole shaman business with this other side of the coin. So you've been there. You know people who've been there. You put um, you know, a teenager, somebody in their, in their early 20s in a situation like that. They don't have a lot, lot of life experience. They don't have a lot of context. They're just looking to have a good time. They're, they're, they want it to be a recreational thing. They do a crazy psychedelic drug. Um, maybe they see things, maybe they have strong emotions, maybe they have a bad trip, whatever it is, but they don't, to them, it has no meaning. It's like a random thing that happened. It was a crazy effect of the drug, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have any context. It doesn't have any meaning. Um, it, it maybe it, it'll create fear for the next time they, they want to do it, but it's not something that has any kind of lasting psychological uh, impact because it's missing the set and setting that the going into it, the user didn't, didn't have an expectation sure. of what that was going to be yeah. and they didn't have anybody helping them. Yeah. Um, the word that always comes to my mind when I think about doing psychedelic drugs is intentionality. Yes. And one of the things about these things is whatever your intentions are may not be what you get out of it. Mm. You know, it might be completely different. Absolutely. But it's good to go into it 
with an intention. Yes. Uh, I think. D- does that feel to you when that happens? Does it feel to you like like the drug had a, had a different end in mind? Like you you do you do the drug and you think to yourself, I want to focus on this thing. Mm-hmm. And it, that doesn't happen at all. Something else happens. It, does it seem to you like th- there's an intentionality to the drug or do you think it's you know, it's like what you really needed. You, you didn't, you didn't, you know, you thought you needed something else, but what you really needed was this other thing. Well, I think, I think that there is some kind of, I, it's undeniable that you get, like I was saying, you get sometimes different things than you were asking for. It's hard to say whether that is because, you know, it's almost like a breakdown between a mystical kind of thing and, you know, saying that the drug wanted you to or the experience right. wanted you to that's kind of like magical it is um, and i'm okay with that i really yeah. don't have a problem with that but i think uh another way that people might explain it is this uh, what i say i want out of the experience out loud is my conscious talking when you get into that realm you're not dealing with your conscious anymore you're dealing with the stuff that's below that yes you know no, I could not agree with you more. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. When somebody says something hippy dippy like that, that the drug had a different thing in mind, um, it's not really the drug. It's the unconscious part of you that had that intention, and the unconscious is way more powerful than than your conscious state. Yeah. It's it's going to creep in whenever it has an opportunity, and doing a psychedelic opens the gates to that. Sure. So your unconscious it, it will exert itself. Yeah. Um, I mean. I really don't know what else to say about that. Yeah. I mean... Well, let's... So we, we started talking about marijuana for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so earlier you were talking about breath work. And, yeah. uh, and I've done a little bit of that, that Wim Hof uh, hyperventilation kind of on purpose. Yeah. And uh, what that feels like to me is, um, well, like anybody, you know, who, who gets lightheaded, you kind of have this lightness, you have a little bit of a dizziness, you have a, Even though you're still. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of pleasant in a, in a, in a weird way. Um, that that's that qualifies as an altered state of consciousness because it's not something that you would generally experience in an ordinary state. Yeah. The marijuana experience can be a very different experience depending on what strain you smoke, what type it is, whether you eat it, whether yeah, it's a yeah. concentrate. There's all sorts of differences there. I always hear people say that it seems more psychedelic when you eat it. Yes. But, you know, I have issues with eating it. I've got to eat like a, a horse's like amount. A metric ton. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so when I when I uh, when I started smoking uh, marijuana, uh, I was in a point in my life where I was sort of desperate enough to try it. And I, and uh, guys, I'm not saying I didn't try it when I was a kid. Of course, I had opportunities. I tried it here and there, um, but I never really got high. Um, but when I was in my like mid you know, 20s or so, uh, I was at a point in my life where I was sort of at, at a low point, yep. and I was desperate enough to try something that I was unwilling to do before. And again, this is not an endorsement at all, um, but kind of is. Uh, it was it was medicine for me. Sure. You know, at that time, it made the world magical to me again, for the first time since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? It's like, and if you have kids and you watch them and you just smile at like the the fascination they have with like mundane things. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. You put yourself back in a state where you remember how magical being alive is and how magical the cosmos is all around you um you know and it it helped me tremendously in a time when i needed it yeah um my you know i did not resist the marijuana as long as you did i was smoking it much earlier Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I don't have the same kind of thing. Honestly, I, there's this thing that people do with marijuana where they act like there's no negative consequences to it. Right. And that drives me nuts because there clearly obviously are. Right. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. And not just with marijuana, but with all of these things. I mean, I think, as we were talking about before, they seem like they're almost anti-addictive to me, at least the real psychedelics. Yes. Marijuana, I do think, has like a, an addictive quality Oh, it does. It. You, know what? So. That's, you know what? That's fair. And I think we should say that. Um, you're right. People, people, especially nowadays talk about uh, marijuana and all the medical benefits mm-hmm. and try to and try to talk down the consequences but I agree with you that with a certain type of habit uh, marijuana does become habit forming and it, and if you and if you cold turkey go off of it after being really accustomed to having it every day let's say yeah. um, you will uh, you will have trouble falling asleep yep. um, you will have headaches mm-hmm. um, it's, oh, yeah. I'm not talking about like opiate withdrawal I'm not talking about terrible pain but it is absolutely something that takes a week or so to recover from. I don't notice a whole lot of that as far as the headaches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, um, maybe a little hard to fall asleep, but and it's funny, this kind of ties into what we've been talking about with dreams and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I do get very vivid dreams, mm-hmm. you know? If I've been smoking regularly and then I stop, like within five days of stopping, I start having these crazy dreams. Interesting, now yeah. do, you, do you remember those more than regular dreams? I mean, I remember them because they're vivid, like right when I wake up, but then, you know, like halfway through the day, they're completely gone, unless I yeah. document them, which I don't now do, when, I should. When you but. say vivid, are you talking about like colorful by any chance? No, I'm just talking about like crazy circumstances okay. in the dreams, like crazy stuff is happening, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. So that kind of thing. So I want to I mention one thing because it just popped in my head. So I, I gave blood once. Yeah, um, yeah. Only once. I remember and the, the story. Yeah, the reason... The reason is, Kyle, this is not, not going to be a surprise to you, but <laughs> the reason is uh, I blacked out. So um, I, I hadn't eaten all day, and I guess that's you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and, I, and I got convinced by a, a buddy I worked with to go ahead and do it, and I felt charitable. So I'm going to go do it. And um, the, the doctor, or I should say nurse, said to me, if you start feeling your vision narrow, if you start feeling anything like that, let me know. And she puts the needle in, and the blood starts coming out. And I immediately started feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself... Don't be a pussy, Chris. You're fine. Take a deep breath. Next thing I know, I'm being woke up. And what they did was they laid they laid the uh, table flat. Um, and apparently, I jerked up towards the lady uh, that was taking my blood, like uh, almost like I was swinging at her. Oh, okay. And um, this is the why I tell you the story because when I came out of it, first of all, I heard the voices of people talking to me. And just like, just like, you know, you, you would imagine mm-hmm. Chris, Chris, yeah. and, uh, and I heard it before I saw it, uh, anything, my, my vision hadn't come back yet, but, but I could hear it and it started hel- helped me kind of pull myself out of it. But when I did, this is what I felt. I don't remember anything. I remember that wherever I was, was brilliantly colorful, like bright and colorful in a way that there's, that doesn't exist in, okay. in the real world. But this is the, this is the weird part. I felt when I was coming out of it. Like I was somewhere I was familiar and I was very comfortable and I wanted to be there. And when I was coming out of it, it felt like I was being ripped out of that place mm-hmm. against my will. And um, when I came to, it, it was this weird feeling of like, I, I knew, wherever I was, I knew the place, I was comfortable there, I wanted to be there. And I felt like I was ripped from it back to reality. And it was so strange and, and weird that I never gave blood again. 
<laughs> don't have any intention of it. To this day. To this day. Yep. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Um, you know, did you, when, do you remember feeling embarrassed when you came back? Oh boy. Um, maybe a little, yeah. maybe a little, I was probably sheepish and didn't say much and just walked out of there when I, you know, yeah. when I was able to, Yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know if I was embarrassed, but it was very weird yeah. and it was very psychedelic. And I didn't know that at the time because I never did psychedelics then. Yeah. But in retrospect, it was very psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, that's like right in line with the, t- seems like almost like the ecstatic ritual experience, you know? Oh yeah. Um, that type of a thing. But one of the things I wanted to get back to is when we were talking about the mystical experience kind of being the point of these um, and what that is and the implications of it. Mm -hmm. um, Why are people chasing it? And why is it good? Why does it seem like it's good for people? Well, the first thing I want to say about that is having an experience like that is it's like being born again. Mm -hmm. And that obviously has religious overtones just saying those words. And that's that's kind of what I mean. Um, I think this whole idea of um, of eternal life, uh, whether that's like a nirvana in a Buddhist sense or heaven in a Christian sense or whatever it is, that this goal of life, um, it, it's it's to conquer death, to become to be eternal. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you're reborn from this psychedelic experience, and that's to me what it feels like when you reach that pinnacle, you're not the same person. Again, you're not the same person you were before that experience. It's like you've been resurrected like the phoenix from its ashes. That that being reborn thing um, has dramatic psychological benefits. It's like... um, uh, like if you if you were a kid, if like let's just say during your awkward period, you were a kid and you, your family moves to a new school system, and you get to like reinvent yourself. It's like you get, you have an opportunity to be the best you. Uh, that's that's how I feel coming coming back from that. It's like this is a second chance. So something about that feels like dying, and that does sound bad, and it and it is scary, and it it does feel scary. Um, but if you accept it if you go with it um the rewards are tremendously powerful yeah um you talking about that i've got a few quotes that i pulled out of the doors of perception here and what you were talking about there just really made me think of this particular quote let's hear it so it says the man who comes back through the door and the wall will never be quite the same as the man who went out Mm. he will be wiser but less sure happier but less self-satisfied Humbler in acknowledging his ignorance, yet better equipped to understand the relationship of words to things, of systematic reasoning to the unfathomable mystery which it tries forever vainly to comprehend. Mm. Um, And I really do, I think that that's kind of, you know, obviously it's written by Aldous Huxley, so it's very fancy, but um, that is kind of it. It really does change. I mean, it changes you, uh, you know. You you get an opportunity to you get an opportunity to change and you can take it. I mean, it, it oh. can really oh yeah transform people. Oh, absolutely. So uh, you know, and I'm cutting right to the chase here, but I think that the experience that that mystical experience, what that really is, is a feeling of um, it's a feeling of uh, and you know, it feels like remembering, which is a weird, weird part of it. It's like a thing that happens that you're like, oh yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah. Even though you've never had that before, it feels familiar. I think what it is, is a, a moment where you, um, where your identity becomes more than 
um, your individual self and it's extended to everything else. So it's, it literally is an all, it's becoming one with the universe situation. That's cliche. I hate saying it like that, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. It's an extension of your, of your consciousness to include more than just yourself. Yeah. And it's such a powerful feeling. It makes you rethink everything you thought about what it means to be alive. For sure. It definitely has made me the experiences that I've had have definitely made me rethink how I feel about pretty much everything. Um, so I, I just think that like um, these experiences, when I when I say that they can transform people, I mean there are st- like legitimate scientific studies where people who have never done psychedelics have like an LSD experience, right. okay. And then 30 years later, having never done a psychedelic again, those people will talk about how that experience was one of the most significant experiences of their lives. Of their entire lives. On the level of having a child or losing a parent. Yes. Yes. Um, so there's just – there's something going on there. It's uh, – there's – it doesn't seem like – uh, it doesn't seem like just chemicals to me, like like Hamilton Morris, the the materialist. Right. Um, but again, I don't know. Maybe it is. Uh, but it seems like there is um, meaning. It seems like there's something important. You know. Well, I agree. You know, and we can talk about uh, like Jung again, talking about interpreting dreams. Yeah. You know, he, he somebody has a dream, or maybe maybe several dreams with a certain theme, and somebody like Jung can tease out real meaning that that's applicable to that person's situation, their psychological health, let's say. Yeah. Um, I do think that's true. And if you've ever had a dream like that, um, you know, like a, a recurring dream or something like that, even if you never understood it or made sense of it, you know, you had that feeling, that intuition that there's something important that you're missing. Yeah. Like why else am I still having that dream? Because I'm not getting what I'm supposed to be getting out of it. There's definitely something like that going on. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, just getting back to the actual experiences and things that I've taken from them, one thing that really stands out to me, and this is something that I'm, I'm about to read another quote, uh, another Huxley quote here, because he hit a lot of stuff. Like It's like I could have written it, but I mean I wouldn't have done it so well. You wouldn't have said it yeah, that way. He, <laughs> exactly. That would have been way less eloquent. Right. Um, but this one kind of nails it on the head for me. Um what, I gotta find it first. I thought I had it. It's the wrong quote. Um, but I don't even really need the quote. It's uh, it's basically just the idea that human consciousness, like what you have when you're not under the influence of that substance, it acts as a a limiting factor, right. not a productive right. factor. Right. Like there is so much more going on around you. Um, you know, like there's. There's Wi-Fi floating around right now. Mm-hmm. I know that for a fact right. because you you paid for it, and I know it's here. Um, but who, like, what else is floating around? You know, um, what uh, what other things that are not mm. you know being paid for? Yeah, I I could not agree with you more. I I I absolutely think that our whatever our individual consciousness is, it is a limiting factor. It's yeah. some it's something that takes the the majesty the tremendous majesty of uh whatever god is um and it and it tra- it filters it into a way that can, that that's <laughs> i don't even know this is this is where we start getting hippy dippy and i'm not exactly sure what words to use here yeah um 
I don't know what what words you're looking for, but one thing that I think is, and, and this is something that Huxley says too, um, he says that a person has the capability to know everything that has ever happened and to remember everything that's ever happened to him. Um, and I do think that that, you, I have distinctly gotten that kind of impression in these experiences, mm-hmm. that this is all one big thing. Like I am a part of, one thing yes. like a, yes. that I'm not separate from anything and that any everything that happens is happening to me mm. and everything that I do I'm doing to everything you know um it's just it's all tied together I you agree know? yeah I agree so 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 I I have quotes too uh that I pulled out okay. and specific to people who describe this type of experience so um I don't want to stop your momentum no, no, but I don't you're good uh but there is a guy his name is um Richard Maurice Buck, and he wrote a book in 1901 called Cosmic Consciousness. And basically what it is is a compilation of a bunch of people historically that have talked about having this mystical psychedelic experience uh, from all all different sources. Um, But he just compiled them all so we could see um, that that this is a phenomenon that exists, that's prevalent, that goes all uh, all through time, and that the people, uh, and I'll give you a list here. I wrote down some of the names. So he's got Buddha and Jesus and some like religious figures in there. Uh, but he's all in Paul and Muhammad. But he's also got um, poets like like Dante, like Walt Whitman, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Tennyson and, and Henry David Thoreau. So these people all had quotes in this book um, that describe a t- this type of mystical experience. Um, other people too, Socrates, philosophers like Spinoza and Francis Bacon, uh, the artist William Blake. Um, uh, the mystic Swedenborg, so a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. um, and I, I. First of all, I wanted to read um, the author's definition of cosmic consciousness because this is another word for what you and I are talking about, and this is the way he puts it. He says, "He says the soul that knows that God is in it is blessed, but the soul in which God wakes is that which is supremely blessed." This waking of God in the soul is what is called cosmic consciousness. So I'm going to say that again. He said somebody who knows that that God is somehow in them. That's a, that's somebody who knows a thing or two. But somebody who opens up their eyes and realizes that God is looking out through them. Sure. That is a person who knows what the fuck is up. Yeah. And that, to me, I completely agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's beautiful yeah i I agree with you um we'll we'll trade off quotes here and mine's a little bit longer but it kind of hits i i think uh, it kind of touches on what that is and it's when huxley said uh and this is one of my favorite from the book we live together we act on and react to one another but always and in all circumstances we are by ourselves the martyrs go hand in hand to the arena. They are crucified alone. Embraced, the lovers desperately try to fuse their insulated ecstasies into a single self-transcendence in vain. By its very nature, every embodied spirit is doomed to suffer and enjoy in solitude. Sensations, feelings, insights, fancies, all these are private and except through the symbols and its second hand incommunicable. Mm. We can pool information about experiences, but never the experiences themselves. From family to nation, every human group is a society of island universes. Yes. Um, and I think that that's one of the the benefits of these psychedelics is it's easy to 
not realize that, like we've been talking about, that this is all one thing. We're all a part of one thing mm -hmm. uh, because of this island universe situation. And right. psychedelics can kind of remind you that this is all, you know, oh, a, yeah. a big soup of existence. So that, that image that comes to my mind when you say, you know, uh, uh, we're all kind of island universes, mm -hmm. that, that that is, uh, for me, um, so, so the idea is like God is um everything you know for lack of a better word god yeah. god is everything or the possible the, the potential for anything to be to be yep. that's what god is and every individual consciousness every person let's say is that completely so the idea is you have this island of uh excuse me this ocean of of sort of islands of consciousness and each each one of those individual islands is the fullness of 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 being it's it's god so each and every person contains the infinity of God in them. Um, and we're all disconnected from each other, but we're all the same thing. Um, and that is hard to understand. It's hard to conceptualize. Uh, but I completely agree with that and believe that that's part of what the psychedelic experience tells you. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. interesting. That is interesting. So while we're talking quotes here, there's two, um, you know, again, I think it's very much tied to religious feelings. By the way, this is something that uh, Joe Rogan talked about several times. I think it's worth mentioning here um, that there was a book uh, written called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Yeah, very interesting. Um, which, makes, which makes a connection between psychedelic experiences, in this case, specifically mushrooms, magic mushrooms, and the Christian religion. Mm -hmm. Specifically the Amanita muscaria. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah. And then we. And we remember him talking about uh, even the acacia, the burning bush, maybe being mm -hmm. being an acacia tree and, and having uh, similar psychedelic properties for Moses. And it's, I mean, it's undoubted that there is a tie over between, you know, the Venn diagram of psychedelics and Christianity. There's definite crossover. There. Oh, yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's do this. I have a Buddha quote and I have a Jesus quote. I'm going right. to read them. Um, so this is uh, this is a passage um, that's by tradition supposed to be the words of, of of the Buddha. So here it goes: Victorious over discontent and lust, over spiritual danger and dismay, will bestow upon him the ecstasy of contemplation. Will enable him to reach with his body those stages of deliverance which are incorporeal and pass beyond phenomena. Cause him to become an inheritor of the highest heavens. Make him being one to become multiple, being multiple to become one. Enable him to comprehend by his own heart the hearts of other beings and of other men, to understand all minds. Mm -hmm. This is Buddha talking about nirvana, mm -hmm. talking about the pinnacle of the religious exercise. So, you know, Buddha was supposed supposed to have reached that state where he was no longer bound by the material world and was basically living, you know, you know, in, in heaven. Let's say, for lack, for lack of a better analogy, this is his description of it. And he says, "Enable him to comprehend by his own heart the hearts of other beings to understand all minds," mm -hmm. and that is very much what that being one with the universe type of experience, that mystical experience feels like. Mm -hmm. It feels exactly like what the Buddha says he felt when he reached nirvana, which which started the religion of Buddhism. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, the story of Jesus, I don't know if unfortunately is even the appropriate word here, but <laughs> the story of Jesus has a very similar story. 
Um, and it goes like this. Um, and this is the passage uh, right from the Bible. And straight away coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens rent asunder and the spirit as a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. And straight away the spirit driveth him forth into the wilderness. Okay, so in this passage, Jesus sees the heavens open up. Anybody who's done DMT knows what, what that feels like. The heavens open up and the spirit as a dove descending upon him. So you've got this, uh, I don't know if you want to call it hallucination, but you have a visual component um, the heavens open up. This this you know bird that represents something comes down to him, and and says, "Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased." Being the son of God, like we talk about Jesus being, to me, I think what that does is it is it gives you kind of a a, a, con- a contemplative way of thinking about you know a human being, Jesus, as intimately related to the creator being the son of God mm-hmm. and that I think that the Christian message is really supposed to be showing us this image of man being God mm-hmm. and the more we can uh, you know contemplate that the more we will realize that if if man can be God in Jesus why can't it be that way for me and I think it is that way for all of us that's blasphemy. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'll let a mic drop. Um, what other quotes did you have, Kyle? Nothing. That's about it. I, I mean, as far as the quotes go for me. Um, uh, but I do, I think that what you said there is uh, is definitely true. Um, I don't know. I, the, one of the only other things that I wanted to talk about is, uh, at least that I have notes for anyways, is... You know the stigma that these these things have, especially the the psychedelic drugs, the substances. You know, meditation and yoga they have they have a pretty acceptable yeah. stigma at this point, right? But LSD, on the other hand, you know, it may be not as feared as it once was, but right. it's a uh, it's definitely still got you know a reputation. Oh, drugs in general, illegal things, and. You know, more than just like the opinion of people, I kind of wanted to talk about why these things might be outlawed, why mm. these things might be banned. Yes. So before we jump into that mm-hmm. side of the coin, sure. um, I have a couple other quotes that I want to talk about. Sure. Okay. So I had Huxley quotes too, but they weren't the same ones you picked out. Okay. And I also have a couple of young quotes, and I feel like they kind of go together. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is um, Huxley in, in The Doors of Perception. Now, he's talking about tripping on mescaline. And um, I believe mescaline, mescaline comes from peyote. Is that right? Yep. Um, yeah, from peyote. But I think MDMA, so folks might be familiar with that as ecstasy, that that uh, drug was also synthesized for mescaline. So if anybody's done that or mescaline, you know what this, what this is sort of like. But this is what he said. He said, I was seeing what Adam had seen on the morning of his creation, the miracle, moment by moment, of naked existence. So this is what Huxley said, which I think is tremendous. But listen to this. Jung said this. Uh, he's talking about the experience of the unconscious. And again, Jung, his approach to that was very different from, from Huxley's. But he says, Consciousness becomes all-embracing, but nebulous. An infinite number of things 
merge into an indefinite whole, a state in which subject and object are almost completely identical. Um, that was the wrong quote, but <laughs> but I, I, that was one I wanted to talk about. So this is this is subject and object becoming identical. Is this um, very strange part of the kind of becoming one with the universe type of mystical experience? Yeah, where the thing that you are and the thing that you experience. They don't seem like different things anymore. They seem like the same thing. Mm -hmm. And something about that resonates as so true. And it does feel like remembering. It feels like something you always knew. And it's so obvious that you kind of, you kind of forgotten. And when, and when suddenly it's, it's brought in your face again, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not different from any of this. Yeah. Sorry. The quote I meant to read was uh, about creation and, and Jung says, um, Creation begins with the act of division of the opposites that are united in the deity. From, the, uh, from their splitting arises a gigantic explosion of energy, the multiplicity of the world, which I, I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love. You know, he, he's, talking about, um, he's talking about God being something that encompasses all th- possible things. Yeah. So he, God's not good. He's good and evil. You know, he's not day, he's day and night. You know, he's not being, he's being and non-being, whatever that means. And, uh, and that when those things are separated and they have to be separated to be, to be known, it's like, um, if God is all things, um, there's nothing to compare God to. There's nothing outside of God. So there's no, there's really nothing, um, that you can, that can be experienced. So you have to separate those things from God. And that's what he calls the division of the opposites. And then he says that what that does is it creates an explosion of energy. And I just can't help but picture the Big Bang. Yeah. So whatever this psychological you know, thing that he's talking about here, uh, you know, this, the division of opposites in God, that when that happens, there's an explosion of energy and the result is the multiplicity of the world. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. That is beautiful. Leave it to Carl Jung. Um, the, other, the other one that goes with the quote I, I mistakenly read first is Huxley who said this, he was talking about the mescaline experience, and he says, it's like breathing, but with no recurrent ebbs, only a repeated flow from beauty to heightened beauty, from deeper to ever deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is, uh, that's definitely interesting. I think that's kind of, I don't have it written down here, but I think that's kind of the same one where, <coughs> I'm sorry, excuse me, where he kind of talks about feeling... Um, like you're going to disintegrate, you mm. know, like uh, like you're just faced with raw meaning, raw, you know, um, and I I think that that kind of uh, I think that there's something about when you hear people talk about bad trips, mm-hmm. there is something where they tend to talk like that, like they're afraid. I was afraid that I was just going to disintegrate, that I'd be gone. Yes. you know. I think that's interesting. It's uh, you know you hear about the ego death yes. uh, a lot of the time. With so, it. do you remember how we were talking earlier about <laughs> about the mystical experience being like a death and rebirth? Uh-huh. That's what I think it is. You get to a point where your your ego, the the, the thing that, that part of you that you kind of identify with that you believe to be the thing that you are, mm-hmm. it's only a part of you. It's only a, maybe a small part of you, and when and it clings on for dear life, and when you have that. Uh, drug experience and it kind of gets diminished and diminished there comes a point where it goes away and that is the 
Um, it's 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 the psychedelic orgasm, for lack of a better word. Sure. That's the thing that's so dramatically beautiful and and compelling and satisfying, like nothing you've ever experienced before. Um, and it, it's necessary to die to yourself to be reborn to that. And I think that that's what that is. It absolutely seems like you're voluntarily giving up your life in that moment because anybody who's done psychedelics will know this, um, that you, you, you can resist it. You can try. Um, when you do that, in my experience, it's not good. When you, when you try to control it or try to intellectualize it, like I, like I often try to do, um, it will punch you in the face and give, and give you a bad time. Yep. But, but as soon as you let go and go with it, it's like strangely like you suddenly are in control of it. It's like suddenly you're driving the car again. Um, it's very, very strange. Yeah, I don't know that I would agree that it feels like you're in the car again, but it just feels like the car is not about to fly off of a cliff yeah, anymore. Okay, fair enough. Um, because I don't, especially with DMT, I don't feel like I'm in control at all. Even when it's good, I am not in control of it. So, well, I agree with you. I agree with you. But when I, okay, let, how about this? Rather than jumping right to DMT, uh, we started with marijuana. Let's 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 talk about mushrooms climb for a second. The, climb the psychedelic ladder let's here. Climb the psychedelic ladder. We're going to talk about psilocybin mushrooms. Okay. I've never done um, uh, amanita. I've never done that. No, me neither. Um, I've heard that it's not even that good. Oh, really? Yeah, I've heard that it's a hard one to really have a good experience on. Mm. Uh, and to have a good experience, you have to eat it and then drink your own pee. Oh so, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Uh, I heard that about. Um, Cedar sage. What's 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 cedar sage? What's that called again? Um, Cedar sage. Cedar. Cedar sage. Oh, uh, salvia divinorum. Salvia divinorum. That's that's one that I heard people pretty much like clockwork have bad experiences with. Yeah, I still want to do it. Uh, I wish that I would have tried it back when it was legal in Ohio and easy to get. You know, you just go to like a a bong shop, a head shop. So I, I listen. I know you wanted to talk about some of the social oh, stuff, no. but I do want to talk about the actual drug experiences because we're an hour in and we haven't really done much of that. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about your first mushroom trip because I wasn't there. <coughs> um, so that was when I lived in the apartment down in Columbus, right? Um, and you know that that's another one. It's it's hard to remember. Um, I, the one thing that I do remember about it and. This is something that I feel like I could use some work on anymore. It's like you you learn these lessons sometimes from psychedelics, but you right. you're not just like automatically locked into them. It takes effort. You have to like yes. put it into practice. Yes, you know. And uh, I did a good job of this for all, but I'm slacking. And that was I was sitting in my car. Okay, it was when I had my Chevy Cobalt, mm-hmm. and I was sitting in the car in the parking lot, which sounds dangerous. Tripping, you know, tripping on mushrooms, sitting in your car. <laughs> but I wasn't going anywhere. I knew I wasn't going anywhere, and it was. A hot summer day, okay? So I'm inside my car, the windows are up, and I'm sweating. And I, I'm honestly enjoying it. I feel like I'm in a sweat lodge or something mm, like that. Yes. And I've got my phone, and I keep getting text messages from people. And I'm, like, stressing about yeah. the text messages, you know? Like, I, I got to respond. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things about psychedelics, and Huxley talks about this in the book, is that, like, people who are tripping can't be bothered, you know? Right. So I was getting these text messages and I had this internal sense of I need to respond to these. It's important that I get back to these people. But then the mushrooms are like, you're going to be fascinated by your, <laughs> your door handle for about 15 minutes now, right. you know? Yep. So 
I, I do remember being like right on the verge of not having a good time yes. because I was like wrestling, you know, with, I should have just like, so that, be fascinated by the door handle. Yes. You know? Well, that, that goes back to the set and setting thing mm-hmm. that you're 100% right. If you have any kind of like responsibility while, yeah. oh, while you're, God. while you're tripping, that is, the, that is a recipe for disaster. Pretty much every time I trip, I have this terrifying, just a fear that somebody's going to come over, you know, that I'm going to be you know, in the throes of ecstasy and, you know, I'm going to get visitors. Oh, that's happened to me. I'll be an alien. Yeah, that (laughs) sucks. That's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. You're right. Um, so, so you're sweating in the car. Um, that's about it. That's really, I mean, you know, what, what, I remember what was good about it, Kyle. Was there something, was there something good about it that time? Well, yeah, there was good, uh, it was just fun. You know, like that was a time where I, I did get something out of it and I did, my relationship with my phone changed after that. It really did. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it seemed more like back then, you know, I was in a very different place back then. I was not, I would say as just like hippie and stupid as this sounds, I was not as spiritually open back then as I am now. I know what you mean. Yep. And, uh, you know, I knew I I had listened to Rogan and I knew that there was maybe some kind of juice to these things. Like there was some kind of benefit that could be had. Um, but I didn't really understand and I didn't get that much out of it. You know, although the phone thing, that's pretty big. It is is, is big. So I'll tell you where, where I, uh, where I think this comes from, from you and just be, just knowing you for my whole life. So, you know, so obviously you, you were brought up, um, you know, like in the church. And what I mean is like that, you know, you were there every Sunday, but you were also there every Wednesday and you were also hanging out, uh, you know, afterwards, you know, with the, with the kids there and that was your, your social scene and all that. And, And that was like, imposed on you it wasn't it wasn't exactly your choice it was like this is what your family's doing and you, you had no choice I did love it though when I was you know especially when I was like youth group age yeah so yeah. but yeah I know what you mean but it seems to me it's like something you're born into like yes every, you know but I think you resented that uh I, you maybe know. for a while yeah yeah um during that point in time when I was on that mushroom trip, that was like the height of me hating organized religion, mm. um, you know, being very much like a malicious a- atheist, you know, right. um, like a Sam Harris type atheist. Right. Although Sam Harris isn't that angry of a guy, but um, just like a straight materialist, you mm. know what I mean? Yep. Um, so I didn't know what I thought the benefit from mushrooms was going to be. Um yeah, it was, it was it was your first psychedelic, right? Yeah, first first so what, ever. What a surprise that was! Yeah. Um, how about your most intense mushroom trip? What what was what was unique about that? One thing that happened, and this was another time that I I did it when I lived down in Columbus. I was tripping and I was just sitting on the couch. It was about three grams that I took. Okay. And I was laying on the couch, and I you know we had that sliding glass door that went back to like the golf yep. course area. I remember. Yep. Not a nice area. You know, a lot of times people say they live on the golf course and it's really fancy. This was not a nice golf course. No, no. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there was like a patch of trees right back there and it was a warm spring night or summer night and I had the the door slid open. I was just laying there in the dark and the bugs or just whatever, the crickets that make those like, you know, squeaking noises or something. Yeah. Yeah. They would all build to this like giant crescendo Mm. and then all of them would stop at the same time. And I don't, to this day, I don't know what that's about. If that's like a, a thing that happens in nature and I just don't know about it. I, I mean, and I assume and, that it has to be, but. And those and like eerie pause, that eerie silence. What was that like when you were tripping? 
it seemed significant. I don't know. Uh, it, another thing that I remember about that trip, I was working at, um, I was working in a kitchen, and there was this dude that worked there that I thought, that, you know, I would used to joke around with, and I was like, I should be friends with this guy. Like, I need mm. more friends. I didn't, though. Like, I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, that was like a message that it was sending me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that psychedelics, um, they do kind of like, like you get the feeling that you're that you're getting messages mm-hmm. um, sometimes, and it seems like those are coming from yourself. But it's like something that you won't admit to, or that you're trying to hide from, or you're trying to avoid. Sure. But when you're doing psychedelics, it's like no, you got to confront this. This is something that that's you know important. Yeah, um, I I really think that, and I think maybe. Maybe uh, later will be a better time to get to this, but I think that when you there's something important and you're being faced with it, resisting that is what causes the bad trips. Yes, but 100%. I, but like I said, I think we'll, we'll talk about like bad trips, and I kind of want to talk about that with the social aspect of it because that's okay. like one of the biggest things when people think about psychedelics. Oh, bad trip. Okay, you know? but um, so, yeah, I but because you talked about that that something seems important and it's something that you need to tackle. Yep. And if you back out of that, that's when it starts to get weird. That's yes. when it starts to get not fun. Yeah, it's one of those things where this is like what we were talking about earlier where uh, there's some meaning there, and it's not obvious right away what that is. At least it, that's been that way with me. It sounds like with you too. Yeah. It takes some thinking about afterwards, so sometimes days or weeks, before you can like really admit what, you, what it, the meaning was. Yeah, um, I think that's for sure true. Um, and I think... It's like uh, with, well, I don't well, know. Can, this can is kind of, well, yeah, yeah, because this is kind of going back to the, we'll talk about this later. Okay, but. so let me let me tell you about my my mushroom experience, um, what I remember from it. And, uh, and I think this is probably equally true for LSD as mushrooms. And maybe because I can't really remember which is which in hindsight. So I'm going to kind of put these together. Um, but I remember feeling. First of all, this is a, this is a trip that lasts four plus hours, so it's not it's not an easy thing to do. It is kind of an ordeal, actually. Um, but I remember feeling scared in the beginning when when it started to come on because it was new to me and I didn't know what to expect. Um, but I remember feeling first of all visual acuity. So the first thing I notice is everything looks sharp. It's like somebody just put glasses on me or something. Colors look bright, shadows look really compelling. Everything looks sharp and and like like super HD. Like I'm looking oh, yeah. I'm looking through my eyes and everything looks like it's in super HD. I know exactly what you mean. Um, and w- and one of the things that does is it makes things interesting. It's like things catch your attention. And I I remember uh, I I remember um, playing with my daughter and it was like the most and again. And under normal circumstances, that's a beautiful experience. Sure. In this instance, it was the most beautiful thing I can possibly imagine. It was like looking at something that, like my child, is something that is more potential than actual. Yeah. And I'm more actual than potential. You know, and it's like this weird thing where I'm looking at her like she's continuing me. Yeah. And she gets a break. Everything about it is like dramatically captivating. And I, and I remember walking down the sidewalk and uh, my daughter's walking ahead of me and I'm walk, following behind her. I'm looking at her little footsteps and seeing the shadows fall behind her and the cracks in the sidewalk and the little pieces of grass coming up through the cracks. And um, 
the, the little ant w- walking across the, the, the sidewalk. And every part of that is like the most, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, the most compelling theater I can possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of thing. And, and I never really had a bad trip, although I do have something I, we can talk about when we get there. But that's the type of thing I noticed with the mushrooms yeah. and the LSD. And I, I never did get any kind of crazy visuals from the LSD. See, that's... Uh Something that I don't think a lot of people understand because a lot of people's understanding of tripping comes from like movies and right. stuff like that. Yep. And it's like crazy colors and crazy visuals. Right. But this is kind of something that Huxley touched on in that book is that a lot of it has nothing to do with visuals. It has to do with the way that you perceive things, you know, yep. and um, just the way that you feel. Um, I remember him talking about um, time. You know, yep. um, how there's really no concept of it, um, you know, uh, things like that. It, it, it definitely makes you, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It makes you appreciate being in the moment, you know? Oh, you're yeah. not worried about, you know, most of the time, and this is part of that ego death thing. Like a lot of time you're thinking, all right, I got to go to the grocery store. got to be to work on time. Mm-hmm. The bills are due, you know, all of this stuff. Yep. The psychedelics kind of melt all that away, and yes. you're just a consciousness in a moment experiencing whatever it is that you're experiencing. Yes. And yes. that makes things take on all kinds of importance, and um, yes. just you appreciate things yeah. more. So jo- Jordan Peterson would say that it it reminds you, it, it's something that is connected to the feeling that we have, that our lives have some kind of cosmic significance. Yeah. That's that's what that is. It's really it's really interesting, man. Yeah. Um. So I do want to talk about bad trips. I don't, I don't know if we want to jump directly to DMT, but do you well, have more I on this? I got some LSD experiences. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, and one of, I mean, I've taken LSD probably I think more than any other of the psychedelics. Yeah. Um, and I remember one time I took it and. Things just seemed, um, I was noticing visual patterns a lot. It was during Christmas. I was over at my mom's house and she had these like long, I don't know, like streamers is kind of what I want to call them, like on her curtains. Mm -hmm. And they were like looped like, um, like double, like double loops. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just started noticing that pattern everywhere. Um, that's one of the things that I remember from that one. Yep. You know, not, nothing crazy. Um, then another time, this was a crazy time. I took acid and I went to see, um, it's a stupid movie. I don't think it's good at all. But when I was on acid, I yeah. was, it was the second of the most recent Star Wars trilogy. Okay. The one where, you know, spoiler alert, if you care about these movies that are not even really that good, it's the one where Kylo Ren kills yes, Han Solo. I remember, okay? I remember. Um, and I enjoyed the hell out of that because I was, you know, I wasn't like in the... F- in the height of it, but I was still very much tripping. And it's funny because we talked about Carl Jung. And when I was watching that movie, I was seeing it as like, I was watching archetypes. Like I was seeing mm, like yes. themes and stuff like that way more than I normally did. Yes. Um, well, and just like, you know, we were talking about before, like the colors and just like, you know, those movies you, are, you, you remember you brought up Joseph Campbell last time. Yeah. Do you know that he was brought in for this original star Wars movies? He, oh really? He, he was brought in, to help with the storyline for exactly that reason. I wonder if that's why those ones are good. <laughs> no, no, I, the original, oh, the originals. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. you're talking about. So, yeah, so all of the um, 
the archetypal uh, uh, themes and the characters in Star Wars, um, you know, that's he had a big part in, in kind of helping that design that. That's cool. Yeah. JC. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about before Joseph Campbell? Well, one thing you said earlier that caught my attention was um, you were talking about uh, emo- emotions. Um, maybe that wasn't the word. Maybe it was feelings or something. But there is a part of the psychedelic experience that's not visual, and that's what gets the most... Yeah. Uh, the, you know, people talk about that the most. There's another part that's emotional. It's about feelings. And it's a way, I don't know if you've felt this, either like like the most joy you've ever felt in your whole life, like you're bursting with it, or the, or like something's funny and you just, and you just laugh for hours or whatever. It's like uh, the emotions can get really intense and unusual. And I feel like that's super important. I think there's something about the emotional content of the images that you're seeing um, that is where the the meaning is something something very important about that, and one of the things that that reminded me of is uh, Young. Who he, uh, there's a Young quote where he says that emotion is the chief source of consciousness. That nothing happens without emotion. That nothing changes without emotion. So that's there there are things that are tied intricately together, and I I, I definitely feel that on psychedelics, um, especially DMT. Yeah, that everything is tied together. That the emotional feeling um, is th- the most important part of the experience. Like it's telling me okay, something. It almost seems like the emotion is like it's like a sixth sense. It's just like the emotion is like some other sense that I'm getting. Okay. So I, I you know, you, it's like you don't see or feel or taste or touch a psychedelic exp- experience. It's like a dream, but you do feel it. You, you see it and you feel it and there's a there's an emotional quality to it do, does that resonate with you at all oh, 100% that's mostly what the experience is for me um i mean don't get me wrong i've seen some very cool shit oh, yeah. on psychedelics uh, i've had some great visuals um but <clears throat> even the visuals so a lot of the experience I, I think most of the experience is a feeling thing yep um and there are visuals, but even the visuals are tied to the feelings. Yes. You know, like there's a, I don't, I, and I really don't even know how to describe that, especially when you start getting up into like DMT, like the things that you're seeing and the things that you're feeling. I have no idea how that they are tied together, but mm. they seem to be to me. Yep. I don't know. Do you want to, do you want to talk DMT? Um, or are I we getting, are we getting ahead of ourselves? No, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really know what else. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of other things that we can talk about, but I think the DMT is a fine thing to talk about. Yeah, because I do want to talk bad trips and the social stuff, um, but DMT, to me, is the pinnacle. We're climbing the psychedelic tree. We get to the top. That's dimethyltryptamine, in my opinion. Um, Shout out to Joe Rogan once again. If it wasn't for him, I don't know that I ever would have known about it or, you know, certainly wouldn't have sought it out, but that is the psychedelic that I've done more than any other. So, um, and I've had some really crazy experiences uh, but I remember the story of the first time you did it. Yeah. And so uh, I, I'll tell you my part of it um, for the audience. So so I had it, and it's something that's not easy to get, obviously. And um, I had a, a, just an absolutely amazing experience, and I wanted my best bud to share in it. So I, I call Kyle over. He comes over to the house, and uh, he gives it a go. And I remember um, I knew what, what to expect. I knew what you were getting yourself into, but you didn't. I mean, I had some kind of an idea. <clears throat> At least I thought I had some kind of an idea because I've heard people talk about this for a long time, right. you know, and uh, I've 
I, the stories, the type of stories that I've told since I've taken it, I've heard people tell those stories, and you think that you know, but you have no idea. Like that, no idea. like that that MTV documentary show. Oh, you know, yes. that was the slogan. Uh, True life, yep. true life, DMT. You think you know, you have no idea. You have no idea. Um, because it is. Uh, just the most powerful thing that I've, I mean, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Yep. So it, it I mean, again, I, I told you guys that when I did LSD, um, I didn't, I didn't have crazy visuals. So w w I don't know what that means. Maybe it means I didn't take enough. Maybe it means I had a weak dose. Maybe it means that's just my constitution and I'm not, you know, likely to have those sorts of things. But when I did DMT uh, after having done LSD, um, that was a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. It was almost entirely visual. Um, but when, but when I watched you do it, um, you took, I, I first of all, <laughs> I, I took two, two giant drags of it yeah. and I, um, was gone. I was just doing what you told me. I know. <laughs> I know. And I told you to do that and you took monster drags, but way bigger than I would have thought. Yeah. And I just watched you do it. My eyebrows just got big. And I'm just, I, just, I wasn't going to tell you. I wasn't going to say anything. I was, oh, that would have been an awful, that would have been a nightmare. <laughs> would have been a terrible idea. Yeah. But I remember you exhaled and you and you and you, your head fell back against the back of the couch. You closed your eyes. And I was just like, here we go. Yeah. And after a couple seconds, you like very like struggling. You very like, like, um, uh, difficultly opened your eyes and looked at me and said, can you leave? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got up and left the room yeah. and whatever happened to you during that experience, I, uh, I only vaguely know, but I did hear you talking to yourself a few different times yeah. and I was standing at the top of the steps and I was just smiling and thinking to myself, this guy's, this guy's having a conversation with God. <laughs> yeah. I wish that I would have not, been worried about you being there yeah um but i mean honestly okay so i took those three giant hits and because that's that's when people tell you how to blast off on dmt that's what they tell you take three big hits hold it in as long as you can so that's what i did and um you know when i took that i you know i laid my head back and what i saw i closed my eyes and I heard this sound that was like, I don't even know how to describe it. It was Aww. like, yeah, something like that. Yep. But it was like rumbly and it just sounded like um, the reverberations of the universe yes. or something like that. Yes. And uh, I closed my eyes and what I saw, I was looking down. It, it was like I was in space and I was looking down at this planet and this planet was um, just made out of these weird like geometric shapes yep. and they were like shifting into each other and I felt like you know like we were talking about before I felt like I was going to disintegrate mm. I felt like I was going to get blown away Yep. Uh, and I f thought that I might die in real life so I was like I gotta get Chris out of here I don't want to die in front of oh, Chris oh god that's so what it was I didn't was know that it was something like that like okay. I don't know that it was like you know I don't know what I thought, but I was just like, what if something bad, you know, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, so then you, you left and I remember closing my eyes again. And another thing before I get to that, when I opened my eyes, um, you know, I, I was looking at that planet and then I opened my eyes and I was looking up at your ceiling and 
um, I saw just like uh, this like grid pattern mm-hmm. over everything, okay. um, like in superimposed over my vision onto your ceiling and the walls and stuff like that. Yep. And then I looked at you and I asked you if you could leave. Uh, so you left and I closed my eyes again and I saw it looked like this bright red like scrolling writing being like instantly carved into this black onyx stone and it was carving these um like egyptian like images like you know dogs with heads you know wearing uh like pharaoh hats and stuff like that yep um and that's about all i remember of the visuals um because i was i was fighting it pretty hard i was like uh, i gotta get gotta get out of here so yep so so I agree. I've, I had similar experiences as far as the co- the colors and the uh, geometric patterns. And it, to me, it kind of re- it made me think of like if you ever looked at a living cell underneath a, uh, a microscope. It's like you can see the all the different cells connected together, and you can see the organelles inside the cells. You see little shapes inside the cells. So just go back to eighth grade science. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, it's like that but very colorful and everything sort of moving and it and it was and it was fractal it was like everything i was seeing inside of the cells and this is what was like the hieroglyphic type stuff it was the same thing i was seeing in the cells themselves mm-hmm. and and i i remember feeling like i was being pulled into a cyclone like um it felt like i was moving and that i wasn't moving like i was getting sucked into the image so it kind of felt like i was flying and following this this the movement of this image that I was seeing and I had no idea what I was looking at I never experienced anything like that it was nothing at all like anything uh, even in in other psychedelics that I ever experienced it was very very strange and every time I did it it's been different uh, but the closest thing that I can that I can reference anybody listening to if you go online and you search for um, an Alex Gray painting called net of being net net of being um it is the closest thing that i can possibly point to that that seems like what i was seeing in the dmt experience that's exactly the type of thing that i've seen too a 100 yes um and it's funny because i had seen you know alex gray has been on rogan rogan's a common theme throughout this podcast um and i had seen that net of being before before I had done DMT and mm-hmm. then I had done DMT and I looked it up and I just saw it completely differently. I saw it and I was like, Oh, I oh, completely yeah. get it now. So yeah, it's funny. So if I, I have that, I have that, uh, framed in my office. Yeah, it's beautiful. And when I look at that, uh, even today, um, I will feel a, like a little reverberation of that DMT feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I'll get like a little flash of it. it. It's just very subtle, but just looking at that picture, it's like a little bit of like a, you know, like a, a jolt jolt. Yeah. yeah. Like a callback. Yeah. Um. Um, I, I do want to talk about my most intense DMT experience. Okay. Because, because I did uh, blast off, you know, all the way. I had the, all, you know, one with the universe type of a feeling. And this one time in particular, I, I want to describe because it was so dramatically uh, powerful. Um, it was like looking at a starless sky, like a, a perfect black as far as you can see. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was something behind it. So it kind of seemed like a curtain. There was something behind the curtain. And it was like there was a bunch of holes poked in this black. And I could see light coming out of the holes. And I knew that the light was like 
pushing hard against this curtain, like so hard that I couldn't even imagine the power behind it. It was the most terrified I've ever been in my life. And remember, I couldn't see what was behind the curtain. I just saw little glimpses of the light coming out of these holes, and I knew that whatever that thing was was going to wash me away. Mm. Easy. Okay. Easy peasy. And, uh, and, and I, days and weeks after that experience, um, I thought about that and thought about that and thought about that. And it all of a sudden made sense to me that whatever was behind the curtain was the force of creation. It was God. Whatever, whatever it is that I am uh, down, you know, down deep, whatever it is that I really am, mm-hmm. it, it, it was that thing. It was that monstrous, roaring power behind that, behind that curtain that was just trying to tear out of the, through these little holes, and it was being held back by just a, just a you know, you know like it, w- it would have taken just a baby's breath to just rip through and, and, and tear me apart. Yeah. And it was terrifying and beautiful. And it was like this crazy emotional feeling that I can't really describe in words. Yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. That sounds very intense. Um, you know, having been in that place myself, I can, you know, kind of imagine how that would feel. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of what I felt too, when I was having mine and I had to ask you to leave, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it just, it does. It just feels like, uh, it feels like you're going to disintegrate, but I feel like part of that is, you know, earlier we were talking about how consciousness acts as a reducing valve. Yep. You know, and I feel like what happens there while you're feeling, and, you know, this is all just hippie speculation, but um, I feel like what's happening there is they're opening, you're getting uh, a more of a flow on that reducing valve. You're getting a, a little insight into more. Yep. You know, and it's overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Um, my my most intense DMT trip was the one. Th- the first one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've had good DMT experiences since then, but I feel like that was probably, that was definitely the most intense one, and I might have been able to get more from that one, but I was so blown away that I was fighting it really hard. Oh, yeah. Um, and that kind of made it unpleasant in some ways. Yep. And I also, you know, this goes back to set and setting. I was worried, you know, you and your family were upstairs and I was, in my mind, I was worried that you guys were worried about me and I felt like I needed to go up there and like, let you know that I was okay. And, you know, I don't know why that was in my head. You know, that's just like these things get in there. Yep. That Um, goes back to set and setting, man. And I, I remember I ran upstairs and was like still tripping pretty oh, hard. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, your uh your eyes were as big as saucers when you yeah, came upstairs. Yeah. Uh but I was like no, I'm fine. Totally fine. Yep. Um it's so disorienting, isn't it? It is. It takes like a while just to you know, be okay. It's not like physically disorienting no. though. It's not like being drunk, no, you no, know. No. Yeah. It's even it's weird to describe how it is disorienting because it's not physically like you're drunk, but it's also not mentally like you're drunk. Like one of the things that Huxley says in that book is that, uh, um, he says something to the effect, he had some recordings from when he was tripping and he says, uh, you know, I can't tell that I was any stupider then than I am in normal times, right. you know? Yep. And that's the true. You feel pretty clear of mind. Yes, you do. You do. But it's just like you're plugged into another dimension yep. for a little bit. Yep. So, and I think I think that what that is is a glimpse at a glimpse at the 
the part of yourself that you don't ordinarily get the glimpse. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what Jung would call the unconscious. Yeah. Uh, it's what B- uh, Buck would call cosmic consciousness. It's something that's a part of each and every one of us that whatever, again, whatever our brains uh, in, in, in normal functioning, you know, day-to-day reality keep us from seeing, um, that, that veil was lifted. And it may, it, maybe it was just a peak, maybe, you know, but it was something more to reality than we generally allow. And the the impression it leaves on you is that it's very real. Yeah. Um, maybe more real. Maybe more real than reality. Yeah, I think that, that that's kind of where I land on it, too, is that it is... I don't know if more... Re- but it, it is reality. Like it that, is it's reality. It's like the bigger picture yeah. of reality. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, some of the other DMT experiences that I've had since then, they've been... Like, I've gotten good stuff out of them mostly just to appreciate how beautiful things are and how fortunate i am yep um things like that like uh i remember one time i did it and i was listening to sturgill simpson who i love and after that i've just had like an even more of an appreciation for that guy's music and he he talks about that kind of stuff in his music Mm. so that's part of it i think that's like why i was listening to it yeah um but yeah i don't it's an amazing it's definitely an amazing substance, and it's like one of those ones where it's like, am I recommending that people do it? I, I mean, like I said in the beginning of this, kind of make up, you know, you decide. If yeah. it sounds, if it's interesting to you, then you should probably do it. But, you know, I don't know. So, um, did you touch on the bad trip stuff that you wanted to, or is there something else you wanted to talk about in um, that in that regard? Uh, well, the only thing that I kind of wanted to say. Uh, well, to lead into that, I, I just wanted to talk about how with the DMT, there's that element, and not just with DMT, but just with the psychedelics in general, there's that thing that I have, and I think a lot of people have, where they come to it with an element of fear. Right. You know? Um, and it's because I, I feel like the main draw for that fear is, f- for most people, it's the bad trip. It's kind of like been publicized. You hear a lot about the bad trip. Right, yep. Um, and I th- we've talked about how kind of what I think causes that bad trip is you avoiding the thing that the, the, the vision or whatever is trying to show you, you know? Yep. Um, so I think that that's something. And I, I kind of think that the same feeling of, of disappointment that you get, um, when you like give up on a diet or, you know, like that kind of like nagging, uh, that it's like the same thing. It's like you know, it's like I could, I should have done it, but I didn't. Yep. Oh yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. so when I, when I do DMT, uh, I, I like that more than any other other substance. I have fear going into that experience, for all the reasons we talked about already. Um, I'll lay down to do it. My heart will start racing. My legs will start trembling. Like like I've got adrenaline coursing through my veins. It's very very strange. Um, and uh, and it, it is a little bit of a, of a heroic act to put to to put the, that to your lips and to to, to take to do it, it again. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, um, I mean, it's like jumping out of an airplane. You know, it is. Um, yeah, it's crazier than jumping out of an airplane on in some ways. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, as far as the bad trip stuff goes, I, I just feel like I wanted to address that because I feel like that's one of the main hangups that people have, um, and I just think. I'm still afraid of them. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, you're going to, if you, 
are honest with yourself, you're going to get something from the bad trip. And the sooner you can embrace that, mm. the sooner it's going to stop being a bad trip. Yeah. And you know what it does do um, or it can do is it can actually reduce your fear of death in, in your normal life. Yeah. So I, I feel that way. I mean, I, I used to, you know, as a younger man, um, that was like the deepest fear in the back of your mind that you never let yourself think about that one day you're going to die. Yeah. And now I can think about that and I don't feel the same way that I used to feel. And I, I remember having, the, having a trip one time where I felt like I was dying or I was going to die. And I started feeling that going south, like I was going to have a bad trip, uh, maybe for the first time. And I caught myself. And this is what goes back to your point about feeling like you, you're, you're not like drunk or out of it. You're sharp, you know, mentally you're sharp. And I, so I noticed it and I thought to myself, just experience what you're feeling. Yeah. And I just let myself feel my heartbeat, you know, listen, you know, I, I, I heard it, I felt it. I started to calm down. And as I started to calm down, the whole trip just changed, just, just got, yeah. got better again. For sure. You know? Mm-hmm. So there's a tip for you guys. Yep. Just go with the flow. That's good advice for psychedelics. Go with the flow. Don't fight it because you're not going to win. Yep. Once that chemical is in there and it's affecting your brain chemicals, you there's no you can't suck it out. You know, it's not like snake venom. Right. Uh, you're on the ride. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Yeah, take the ride. Enjoy it. Um, so just getting to like the one last thing that I wanted to talk about is, you know, there are substances and there's a move to legalize these sort of things. Right. Um, but they're all still illegal. And these are substances that we've known about for millennia. Oh yeah. Okay. These are not new things that we've just discovered. Um, and I just wonder why that is, you know, you got substances like alcohol and I'm not like lobbying for the abolition of alcohol. I don't think that's good. No. Um, but you just wonder why things like alcohol that make people so, you know, listen to the things that we've been talking about with this podcast. We're talking about enlightenment yep. and meaningful uh, experiences that people value their entire lives. Right. Um, and then you think about alcohol and that's sold on every corner and it's um, how much value is, mm. you know, I'm not saying that alcohol doesn't give people value. I've gotten value from alcohol, but I've gotten also a lot of embarrassment from alcohol. Oh, a lot of embarrassment. There's a lot more negative consequences, uh, immediate and long-term, yeah. of something like that. Yeah. I mean, so there's that aspect of it. There's, like, the drunk driving aspect of it. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I feel, like we were talking about, I feel less physically impaired on psychedelics than I do on alcohol. I, I agree. So I agree. Well, I told you. I, I'm I, not... I, I, I took a nice, you know, leisurely stroll through my neighborhood holding yeah. hands with my daughter when I was on LSD. I'm not recommending driving while you're on psychedelics, but I would feel more comfortable doing that than I would driving while I was drunk, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, and then there's nicotine, things like that, yeah. things that obviously kill you. Right. You know? So I think that the, I think that the government um, understands human nature to, enough to know that we need some... Uh, relief that life is hard and we need some relief and people have always sought it um, all throughout history that's why we've, we have a relationship with these drugs that goes back thousands of years yep. so they can't make it all illegal but why they choose why they choose to make something like like nicotine and alcohol perfectly fine and things like marijuana and uh, and, and magic mushrooms um, you know uh, the opposite mm-hmm. is completely beyond me you don't, you don't have any ideas? You don't well, have any thoughts? I mean, uh, th- so people will say 
that if we were that if we all did psychedelics, that we would be enlightened, and uh, or at least enough of us would be enlightened that we would start to question fundamental things about our society, mm-hmm. and one of those things might be the power structure. Sure. That if if we do psychedelics, that will overthrow the government because we'll decide we don't need them anymore or something like that. Yeah, I see. You know, I think it's less dramatic than that, and that is kind of where I'm going. I don't think it's necessarily that you're going to have – if a bunch of people start doing mushrooms – and I mean this is a possibility, don't get me wrong, but it's not really where I go – that if a bunch of people start doing mushrooms, everyone's going to rise up and we're actually going to overthrow the government. What I see more is you know, the, the amount of people doing psychedelics goes up and then you have an increased amount of people who – are checking out, you know, yeah. like Tim Timothy mm, Leary, like yes, that kind of thing. Yes. I'm just not going to participate anymore. Right. Um, mm. And I think that that is maybe, you know, maybe in the short term, a revolution is like really scary for mm. a group. But I think long term, people opting out, mm. not buying into it anymore, is like just as big a threat. Oh, that's interesting. So, so I'm picturing people uh, doing psychedelics realizing in general what's really important you know in life mm-hmm. and then maybe preferring a simpler less materialistic way of life yeah and suddenly big business and their relationship with government suffers um, the money uh, the economy would have to change I mean that could be a very dramatic culture changing thing I agree Absolutely. with you that that's an interesting way of putting it um, and, and you know that that could be wrong but I just look at these substances and there's no real threat you know and I just wonder like why the the animosity for these substances so I think there's probably some truth to what you just said and there's also the idea that the government has to be seen as doing something and one of the things they like to pretend to do is to quote unquote protect us sure from ourselves keep the streets clean keep the streets law clean. and order yep all that happy horse shit mm. um so there's one there's one thing I thought maybe we can close with this uh, one story that I wanted to tell you um, because I thought it was interesting uh, when I was reading Young it kind of it kind of struck me um, so he Young talks about doing a thing called active imagination mm-hmm. and it's kind of like dreaming while you're awake you just kind of close your eyes you get relaxed and you let thoughts come to your to your mind and he says that when that happens these images and thoughts are coming from the unconscious so very much like a dream so I did this. Um, I did this, and I was trying to imagine um, what what God is, just asking that question, trying to imagine and seeing what comes to my mind. And the image that came to my mind was like an endless like an endless wall of eyes. Uh, it sounds weird. Like a, like a, I couldn't see the end of it. It was just eyeballs floating in space, a wall of eyeballs, and they're looking at another wall of eyeballs so it's like an infinite expanse of of eyes Mm -hmm. and they're looking at an infinite expanse of eyes this is the image that came to my mind and then i'm reading young and he says he mentions a word a a motif that comes up in dreams and he calls it uh polyophthalmia which just means many eyes and that this comes up in dream analysis all the time and he says that the motif points to the peculiar nature of the unconscious, which can be regarded as multiple consciousnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what these eyes represent, multiple consciousnesses. Um, and, and then I have to, again, point back to that Alex, Alex Gray painting that we already talked about, where it's just this geometry that's of exactly eyes. That's exactly what I thought of, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so this is tied to this idea of the unconscious or 
cosmic consciousness like we've been talking about. And I think that's what that that's what the mystic experience is. It's recognizing that the thing that we are um, is is the source and structure of, of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if that's good a good enough place to end in the conversation, but I just thought it was strange that this idea of many eyes popped up in the psychological dream literature, but it also appears in my own imagination. Well, didn't, go ahead, I'm sorry. And, and, and in the psychedelic experience. Didn't you have a, a psychedelic experience where you took some sort of substance? I think it was mushrooms, and maybe it was acid, though, uh, and you were looking in the mirror, and you had like kind of a, you yes. know, like that kind of an experience, like the eye seeing the eye. And, I did, I yeah. did. You're right. And I think that was LSD, and they tell you um, never, never look in the mirror. Never look in the mirror. So that's the first the first thing I did. So so I do. Yeah, you know, I was standing there looking in the mirror, and I, you know, if you've ever done that, you're just focusing on one eye. Let's say um, you can see your reflection in your iris in your pupil. I think so. That's what I was seeing. I was seeing myself looking at my self looking at myself looking at myself yeah, looking yeah. at myself in endless endless you know kind of fashion and it was this very disturbing moment for me it was like nothing i've ever experienced before and i think it's tied to this like fractal thing that appears over and over again in uh in mystical experiences and in psychedelic experiences it's something like what we were talking about with DMT where what 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 reality is is consciousness within consciousness within consciousness within consciousness yeah. ad infinitum. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's the truth. And I mean, this is all just subjective, you know, but, you know, these are things that uh, I'm sure that this is a topic that I'm sure we're going to be coming back to, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is uh, kind of like right in the wheelhouse here. Although, uh, you know, I, I would like to be more specific next time, maybe yep. like dial in on something. Uh, but I yes. do feel like this is a good primer, you know, a yeah, good, a uh, good way to start the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very high-level introduction, and uh, th- and we'll revisit psychedelics from time to time yeah. uh, and mystical experience and all that. Yeah, I um, mean, it kind, of, it kind of all, all the things that we like to talk about kind of like blend, they kind of all fold into each other, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So I'm sure it's all going to be coming back up. All right. So you guys have that to look forward to. Um, you, I also am going to be recording my own solo podcast later this week, so... You know, look forward to that. Tell your friends. Tell your friends to listen. Um, oh yeah, know. absolutely. Uh, I do want to say one more thing because I did a solo podcast the yeah. other week, and uh, if anybody hasn't listened to it, check it out. It's, uh, it's very all, good. It's I was all, I loved it. Oh, good, good. Thank you. Uh, On the topic of of religion, I think it's uh, it's cool that you did that solo podcast about you know, what it was about. And then now we're kind of talking about psychedelics here and there's a lot of religious tie over there. Yep. And then the solo podcast that I'm going to be doing is kind of going to be about religion in its own way, not necessarily, necessarily in the same way yours was. Sure. Um, but it, you know, they all kind of complement each other well. So yeah. I'm excited to yeah. get that out. I think that'll be good. Yeah. I think it really will. And then, and then it'll give us something to talk about when we get back together. Sure. But I really like that idea. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys are. Yep. Um, and and I also for the people who stuck with us through this uh, almost two hours now, um, I do want to say one thing. Uh, when I did my solo podcast, I was very enthusiastically saying things, um, th- kind of from memory, and there was some factual inaccuracies. So I'm going to tell you for the, for those people who stuck around long enough, I mentioned um, the the Babylonians quite a bit, 
And I mentioned uh, Sargon of Akkad, and even though I said Sargon was from Akkad, I referred to him as Babylonian. He was not Babylonian. I also conflated the Babylonian and the Sumerian empires, even though they're close uh, in in time and space. Um, They're not the same. So I wanted to clarify that. Uh, You know, I I realized that 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 was wrong. The other thing I mentioned was... um, um, was a king uh, when I was talking about Sargon and I said Saddam Hussein had his face on a coin with Sargon on the other side. That was actually King Nebuchadnezzar from much later period in history. Uh, but it, you know, my, my mind is full of these things. So those were inaccurate, but the rest of it was gold. Yeah. The, uh, well, you know, the Saddam coin thing, Saddam put his face on a coin with a great king from that, you know, from that area. So potato, potato. Yeah, exactly. Easy mistakes to make. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging in there. And and until we meet again, we love you all. See ya.